Okay, as we're getting ready to read this passage, there's one thing in particular that I want you to notice. Jesus is going to say the words, I and you, a ton in these verses. I and you. One of the things that happens when we start to process life with Jesus, and and I don't know which way you go, but for some, we look to Jesus as being just like us. I want to know that Jesus is a man. I want to know that Jesus lived a human life, that he struggled with things, and, and he found victory, that he, that he wrestled with human emotion, and, and there's something about God becoming a man that is so important to me. And that, that is an important aspect of Jesus, that he is fully man. But there's another very important aspect about Jesus, and that is that he is not like us at all. And somehow we have this God that we worship that is fully identifiable as a human being because he came and he lived among us. And at the same time, he is distinct from us and we need him to be distinct from us. And today Jesus is going to identify how and why he is distinct from us. And you're going to see that every time he contrasts I talking about Jesus and you talking about everybody that he's with. And you'll see why that's so important. So John chapter 8 verses 12 through 30. Here we go. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words that he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. 
Father, would you uh, give us grace to open up your scriptures, to learn, to see. And I do pray that as your spirit moves in this place, that you would illuminate your word, that we would listen well to what you have to say to us. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right. The first thing we're going to look at, well, let me just tell you where we're going to go with this. There are three key phrases that Jesus says over the course of this message, and and I want to share what they mean, but maybe more importantly, what do we do with them? The first one is light of the world. The second one is, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. It's kind of a, a huge statement. And then the third one is, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. So those are the three phrases that we're really going to focus on. There's obviously a lot more to this passage, and we'll try and understand some of the context, but I want you to hear those are the things that we're really going to zero in on. The first one, uh, John says, again he said to them, or spoke to them, and that, that again is tying us in with the previous context. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching a lot of people. They're there for a festival. They're celebrating uh, the time of Exodus. It's a great time. Everybody's there. It's a very worshipful time, very God-focused time. Yet Jesus is going to say some things that really pull people away from what they think about God. It's actually kind of a challenging thing that Jesus is going to do. He's speaking to them in the temple And he says this phrase, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is an extremely bold and audacious statement for Jesus to say. I mean, just imagine somebody saying something to that effect. I am the light of the world. The whole world exists in darkness. And I, the one standing before you right now, I am the light of the world. The world is experiencing light because I'm here. Jesus has said a number of things that are challenging, bold, substantial, hard to wrap your head around, and this would be one of them. Jesus is saying this world exists in darkness and I bring light. Now, I don't know if you've been a, uh, a, uh, a follower of Jesus for a long time or even if you've just been to a lot of church services, but there are certain uh, messages that people preach that just kind of stand out to us. And they just sort of roll through your head over the course of your life. And every once in a while, it just pops back into your mind something that somebody taught at some point, And you can always go back to that message. I, I don't know if you've had that experience. I've had a couple of those over the course of my life. For John, the guy that's writing this this book, this was one of those messages for him. Jesus identifying as the light of the world was one of those things that just clicked for John. I want to go back to John chapter 1, and this is a section where John himself is writing. It's not Jesus speaking, it's John writing. Chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when John is introducing Jesus to everybody that's going to read his book, he introduces him as light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. It's a a message that made sense to him. It's something that really resonated. Now I want to take you to 1 John chapter 1. So if you know anything about John, you know he wrote actually a couple of books in the New Testament. 
He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, which 3 John was basically just like a school essay. But he wrote that, and then he wrote the book of Revelation. I didn't mean to diminish 3 John, by the way. It's just very short. That's all I was meaning to talk about. All right. But 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, is essentially commentary on Jesus' message about being the light of the world. John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So what we're starting to get from John is as he heard Jesus teach this message saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're starting to see John grab a hold of a concept that is extremely important, that Jesus brings light into this world, and he shines into the brokenness of the world around us. The world is in a state of darkness. I'm going to take a little bit of time and teach about this just to try and help you understand something that the Bible teaches And that is that every human being that exists from Adam and Eve's kids on is born into a state of sin. It's kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around and sometimes maybe we feel like that's not fair or that we're born sinless. You know, you have your first kid and you just look at this this gooey little baby and it's just beautiful and, and wonderful and you think, how could this child be born into sin? And then Within months, you're totally convinced that that child is a sinner and in need of salvation. It doesn't take long at all for us to recognize how bent we are towards sin. Here's another example. How many of you at some point have tried to get out of some kind of sinful behavior in your life and you find yourself constantly just veering right back into that sinful life, constantly going back to something, some character issue or some activity that just you want it gone. You desire it to be out of your life, but it just continues to resurface over and over and over and over. We start to see the effects of sin in our lives. Part of that is the world that we are born into. The Bible talks about it in a couple of ways. Paul writes in Romans 3.10. He says that none is righteous, not even one. So there's not one person that's ever been born in the history of the world with the exception of Jesus through the virgin birth that can stand before God and say, I am righteous before you and I belong in your presence. There's not one person that can say that in the history of the world. This is a huge and important concept that we are born into the curse of sin. We're born into brokenness. That's, in fact, the entire reason that the Bible exists. The entire reason that Jesus was sent was to rescue us out of that state of brokenness, that state of sinfulness, and to bring us back into a right relationship with God. We are being brought into a reconciled relationship, a place of peace with God. 
That's the gospel in a nutshell, is God making the wrong that is in us right through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, I'm, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, here's the next thing. Jesus is inviting us into something that is not just for eternity, but it's for now. And he's done this a couple of times. If you remember the passage from a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, does anyone thirst? Let him come to me and drink. He offers this invitation using thirst as an example. Does anyone thirst? Let him come to me and drink. And then he says, for whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That is not an eternal life invitation. That is a present day life invitation. That if you believe in Jesus, if you put your life and faith in him for salvation, something changes in you today, not just not just in eternity, not just in the next life, but right now something happens to you where your heart becomes a source of water, of life, of all that Jesus brings. It becomes a source of that for others. And here Jesus is saying something similar. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness and will have the light of life. Meaning, just like you become a source of water, you also will have light. You will have light to bring into the darkness. You become an agent of God to bring his light into the world. You become a representative of him, a container of him, one, a vessel who carries his presence into a dark and broken place. You have the light of life. And people need light, and you have it. Jesus is telling you, if you come to me, if you believe in me, I'm going to give you the water that actually provides for other people. If you come to me, you believe in me, I'm going to give you the light that provides for other people. I'm going to make it so that you become the source of life so that other people can find their way back to me. That's what Jesus is inviting us into when he says, I am the light of the world. Okay, the passage goes on from there and goes into an interesting thing. The Pharisees, they don't disagree with Jesus. They don't fight him on the grounds of what he's saying. They basically, uh, it's like a, a law scene. I don't know if you guys read John Grisham or anything. I love John Grisham books. Uh, they're, they're basically like saying, objection, your honor. He didn't say it the right way. They're coming to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, we have a, a procedural issue with what you just said. You're bearing witness about yourself. Therefore, your testimony is not true. They're basically saying, look, according to the Old Testament, if somebody wants to make a big claim, other people have to validate that claim. You can't just validate yourself. Other people have to agree that it's true and testify on your behalf. So therefore, what you're saying is not true, which that, that's kind of a ridiculous statement. It could be true, but they're just saying, uh, we're not going to listen to you because you're making these claims about yourself. Now, Jesus spends the next few minutes talking to them and explaining to them that they have no idea who they're talking to. If they're going to argue with him about his testimony, then they have an issue bigger than what's going on in that moment. Now, let me ask you this. Some of you, God has spoken to you. 
maybe in dreams, maybe you've heard his voice, the spirit has led you in a certain way, and there's been times where God has spoken to you. It's an an incredible experience to, to just have God's voice in your life. It's a total joy. But how many of you, when God speaks to you, do you say to him, actually, God, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't just speak to me. You have to bring two or three witnesses to testify to the things that you're saying. Otherwise, I can't take what you're saying. We don't, we don't contend with God in that way. When we read the Bible and we understand the scriptures, we don't say, well, unless there are two or three witnesses to the validity of the Bible, I can't take the scriptures to be true. That's not the way this works. We hear God's voice. And like Moses on Mount Sinai, when he comes face to face with God, he believes him and he carries that presence down into the people of Israel. And Jesus is coming to us and he's saying, okay, even if I do bear witness about myself, so even if what you're saying is true, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from. I know who I am and I know what I bring to the table and you can fight me on the, the, the grounds of how I'm delivering this to you, but you have to know that the things that I'm saying to you are true. And then he says this, I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. You're looking at what you can see, and you're making a judgment call based on what you can see. This is oftentimes an issue when it comes to life with God. If all we're basing our decision on is the things of this world and the things that we can see, we're going to run into wall after wall after wall after wall. There comes a time in our lives where we have to understand that the things that are happening in the world are one layer and that there is a whole different level of things going on outside of what we can see. That's on the spiritual warfare side of things, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of this dark world, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. That's also in the heavenly places that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing that God is lavishing us with grace, that he's pouring out his spirit on us. The things that are unseen are essential for us to walk by faith. You can't just do this life based on what you can see. And Jesus is looking at these people and he's saying, you're looking at me, you're seeing me, but the problem is you're not seeing what stands behind me. You're not seeing what I bring to the table that I'm coming from the Father. Jesus continues on. He says, I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. That's verse 18. Then they said to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, to Jews, Pharisees, the nation of Israel, in the temple. Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus is speaking to Israel and he's saying, you have lost sight of God because you don't recognize him when you look at me. Now, there have been a few times where Jesus has said something and people have picked up stones to try and kill him. There have been times where he said things and they have immediately sought to arrest him because the thing that he says is so in your face that that they can't walk away. Yet for some reason, Jesus is able to avoid, capture, or slip out from the crowd. And John tells us this is one of those times. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't his time yet. The arrest hasn't come yet. Jesus said that, and then they didn't arrest him. Now the teaching continues in verse 21. It says, so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, I'm going to get to the you will die in your sin in just a minute. But I want you to hear this. He's telling the people of Israel, I'm going away and you will seek me. You will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. There is a limitation to your experience in this life with God if you are not following me. If you don't believe in me, which he's just about to say, then there's going to be an issue. The Jews are confused. Will it kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And this is where Jesus starts to separate himself out from us. He says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. And this is where we understand an essential separation between Jesus and us. We can absolutely praise the fact that Jesus is fully human. But we also have to understand the fact that Jesus is fully God. And so let's just talk for a minute about the differences between Jesus and us. The way that our understanding of the scriptures work is that uh, we are not eternally existing beings. So we don't have a, we're not spirit babies that for all eternity have just been waiting in heaven for God to pluck us out of eternity, place us into a human body, and we start living our life, and then we die our life, and then we go back to being eternal beings. That's not the way that our, our theology defines human existence. The way that we understand it is that you, as a soul, as a being, are created at conception. This is why we call it procreation. It's an interesting theology to think that God was not done with creation on the sixth day. Rather, he continues to create throughout human history. Every time a pregnancy begins, that is God creating a fresh and new human being every single time. It's a powerful reality to think about that God knits us together in our mother's womb, that he creates us. That's different than Jesus who has eternally existed. So Jesus is forever. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That same thing is not true about you and me, but it is true about Jesus. Jesus says he's existed for all eternity and he came into human form and he lived his human life. Now, this is why this is so significant. Because when, when you and I experience our life, we need help. We need somebody different than us to save us from our sin. The book of Deuteronomy says that if you die, you're dying for your own sin. You can't die for somebody else's sin. You don't have the ability to cover somebody else's sin. You only have the ability to cover your own sin in your death. Paul will expand on this in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He says, the wages of sin is death. So the result or the cost of you being a sinful person is your death. That's the wage of sin. 
The gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. That finishes Romans 6.23. I'm sharing these things because Jesus is building towards a concept of what happens if you don't believe in him, you will die in your sins. So here's what he says. Verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is not a very friendly sentence to share with somebody. This is not the kind of thing that would win people over to Jesus if they're just trying to look for the most popular teacher or the the rabbi that makes them feel good. This is not a feel-good message. This is Jesus saying that you're at a point in your life where you have to make a decision. Will you believe that I am he? If so, something happens to your sin. If not, nothing happens to your sin. Let's talk about that. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and I want to encourage you, especially if you're fairly new to Christianity, new to the church, you've never given your life to Jesus before, I want you to hear this because this is essentially what we believe about salvation. That because you're under the curse of sin and you have brokenness in you, which every single one of us would testify to our brokenness, we would all say, I fall short of the glory of God. And it's not the optimistic like, well, nobody's perfect and I'm not perfect either, but we'll all kind of make it in with a B grade. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Every single one of us falls short of God's glory. We can't stand in heaven with God on our own merit. It's impossible. But Jesus is offering something, a solution to that problem. He says, unless you believe in me, you'll die in your sin. If you believe in me, you will not die in your sin. If you don't believe in me, you will die in your sin. Now, the death in your sin, let's just take a a brief moment to talk about that. We talk often about eternal life, and the counter to eternal life is eternal death. It's the idea that without God rescuing us out of our brokenness, we will spend eternity separated from God. You'll hear people talk about hell. You'll hear people talk about eternity. You'll hear people talk about death. You'll hear people talk about all of those kinds of things. And that is an eternal state that exists apart from the grace of God. But God loves the world. He does not want that to be the case for anyone, not one person. God desires that none would perish. He doesn't want that outcome for a single person. God's deep desire is that every single human being would be made right with him, reconciled to him, restored to him, given new life, a new name, a new heart. These are all phrases from the scriptures that are talked about when it comes to salvation. God wants to bring us into righteousness for eternity. And it all comes down to this issue of what happens with our sin. If you believe in Jesus, then there's a transfer that takes place. Your sin is placed on Jesus on the cross. Now, maybe your first objection is, wait, that happened 2,000 years ago. How could that still be effective for me today? The reality is his death was effective once for all. 
The death of Christ covered sins past, present, and future. And God has invited anybody, anytime to experience salvation from their sin by believing in him. And that your sin then gets placed on Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness gets placed on you. There's a theologian from the 1600s named Martin Luther that called that the great exchange. It's like a propane tank for, for your sins. You bring that thing in and you just walk away with that fresh blue rhino. Like that's, that's what's going on. You are bringing your brokenness to Jesus and handing it to him and placing on him all of your sin, what you have already committed and what you will commit in the future. And you receive in place of your sin the righteousness of Christ. So when, when God looks at you, if you're a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you right now, what he sees is righteousness. You might not feel righteousness because of how you were with your spouse this morning or because of uh, the things that you thought about uh, on your way here today. Maybe you, you feel shame over the things that you've done wrong. But you need to hear that God doesn't see you even sometimes the way we see ourselves. He looks at you, and what he sees is the righteousness of Christ. Because anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are, are scriptures that are said about our new state because of the impact of what Jesus has done for us. It is massive what he did. And so Jesus, when he tells these people, unless you believe in me, you'll die in your sins, there is a, a note of plea in him. Unless you believe that I am he, that I am, that God in the flesh is standing in front of you, unless you believe that, you're on your own. I can't help you if you don't come in faith and receive the gift that I'm offering you. Isn't it wild to think that the only way out of the grace of God is to reject it? To say you don't want it. There's not one person that it is not available to. The invitation is for everyone. Does anyone thirst? Let him come to me and drink. Anyone. When Jesus says anyone, who do you think he means? Anyone. Does anyone thirst? Let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. Who do you think Jesus means when he says whoever? Whoever. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's yours. You have it. And there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. I hope right now you're like, man, this guy sounds like a broken record. He's just saying the same thing over and over because I want this to sear into your minds. What we do with Jesus determines our future and it determines our presence, present. How we respond to the message of Jesus changes everything about who we are today and for eternity. Okay, one more thing that Jesus says. Uh, you can skip down a little bit to verse 28. 
So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. Okay, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you don't have to respond, but I just want to ask, when you hear that, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, I want you to think of what comes to your mind when you have lifted up the Son of Man. It has to do with the crucifixion. I was sharing this message on Thursday night with our, our crew that, that kind of uh, preps these messages together. And I asked that question, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, and he just did this with his arm, just like the, the, the raising up of the cross. Because what Jesus is talking about is not when he ascends to heaven, because that's not, that's not the Jews raising him up to heaven. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's not them ascending him to the throne. That's the Father. When they lift him up, it has to do with them raising up the cross to crucify him. And Jesus is saying, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he. When I go to the cross and I die and the sky turns dark and the curtain in the, in the temple is torn from top to bottom, at that point you're going to know that I am who I am, that I am God in the flesh. There's an amazing passage. It's in Matthew chapter 24. It would take me a little bit to, oh, look at that. I turned right to it. Oh, no, I can't find it. All right, there's a great moment. The centurion that was responsible for uh, piercing Jesus' side as Jesus breathes out his less breath, he says one phrase, surely this man was the son of God. When you have lifted up the son of man, you will know that I am. Why is this significant? Jesus says, uh, this idea of that he, well, he says it. Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. When I am crucified, you will know that this is the story of God. You're not looking for salvation anywhere else. Your path out of brokenness is not going to be found anywhere but through Jesus. This is the radical exclusivity of the gospel. Peace with God does not come through anything, anything but the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not nervous to say that. I don't start to wonder what people will think about us if I declare something so exclusive and so narrow. It is the entire reason that this church exists is because the only way for us to find our way back to God is through Jesus himself. There is no other way. And we have dedicated ourselves for 12 years to preaching the message of Jesus. He is the only way to life. You can't find it anywhere else. It doesn't exist. God is desperate for you to be with him. We know that because the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2.4 that God desires that all mankind would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul actually tells us what God wants, what he desires, what burns in his heart is for you to be with him. Now, I'm going to close up our message. I hear you babies crying. Some of you are adults. 
I was on a hike this morning, six miles uh, around the Santa Rosa like loop, and uh, somebody down there has goats. Have you ever heard goats cry? It sounds like babies in severe trouble, and it was echoing through the canyon. It was quite terrifying. Unrelated to the message, just want to tell you about my goat experience today. Okay. So this message is twofold. The first one is this. If you're not currently a believer in Jesus, I am, I am so glad you're here. It's like our joy that you would feel comfortable enough to come into this tent, to hear me talk for 40 minutes, to be a part of our singing and, and all the things that we do to honor God with our lives and our gathering. It is our joy that you are here. I want you to hear this. We are here because many of us have given our lives to Jesus we believe that he is God and it changes everything about who we are and our entire posture. The reason we're here in Thousand Oaks, the reason that we're still in a tent and open air just inviting all of you constantly to come in here is because this is the good news of the gospel. It changes everything. If you believe in Jesus, it doesn't just fix your eternity. It actually it fills you with something different today that you carry into work tomorrow. Not like when you've done nine years of Bible study or 15 years of church going or you get your, your offerings up to 10% or anything. Like, there's no qualifications. The minute you believe, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. The minute you believe, you have the light of life. Everything that Jesus offers you for transformation happens today if today is the day of your salvation. Now there's not a specific prescription in the Bible for how to give your life to Jesus. It's, it's pretty open. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in Acts chapter 16. And you might be sitting there saying, well, what does it mean to believe? Or what are, what are the words that I need to say to get into heaven? What's the activity that I need to do to, to uh, make this official? Where do I sign? I don't know, maybe you've refinanced recently and you want the docu-sign that gets you into heaven or something like that. Where do, I, where do I do this to finalize my faith? I want you to hear this. The way that Jesus is talking this is not about you making it official with a church. This is about your heart. And you and God know when your heart is turned over to him in belief. You know that you believe that he is God in the flesh. And when that happens, it's done. You can pray a prayer. That's beautiful. We love it. We love the opportunity to talk to God. It's a great opportunity. You can get baptized. It's a beautiful thing. It's a testimony to that transformation that took place inside. We, we go into the water representing our, our death to self, our death to sin, and then we come up out of the water representing the new life that Jesus has given us. You can get baptized, and it's a testimony of your faith, but when you believe, out of your heart flows rivers of living water. It's done. And the transformation begins. My prayer is that today is the day of your salvation. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, if you've never believed before, my prayer is that even now, belief is welling up in you and you 
join God in his family today. Now, here's the second part. Because a lot of us have already done this. And I hope, I hope that there's no checkout in anybody when you hear me invite people to faith. You're like, oh, yeah. Made that call years ago. Baptized, saved, done. We're going to make that bumper sticker just so that we can not ever give it to anybody. Okay. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, what is the message? I am the light of the world. Anyone that walks or follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What do we do with the light of life? What changes tomorrow because you have Jesus today? What changes about your marriage because you have light in you? to share with the person that you're married with? What happens to the way that you raise your kids when you are the light of life? You have it. You possess it. And it's yours to steward and give. What happens to your workday tomorrow when you show up with the knowledge that you have the light of life? First thing that I'll encourage you with is a sense of urgency. Jesus is telling this group of people that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Part of our conviction as followers of Jesus needs to be to know the exclusivity of that message. That if somebody doesn't have Jesus, they don't have rescue from their sin. We need to live with a kind of urgency that understands the state of the world around us. We understand where we were before we gave our lives to Jesus, and we understand where the world is unless they give our lives to Jesus. And inherently, that should change the way that we live our lives, the way that we go to work tomorrow, the way that we speak to our kids. All of a sudden, we're not about them getting a scholarship. We're not about them being the best baseball player they can be. We're not about them uh, having the most friends in school. We are about them meeting Jesus face-to-face, and knowing salvation personally. It changes the way we parent. And so we, we start to understand, I have the light of life. So the first challenge is to let that change you. And the second one, and I'll close with this, is I just, and I feel compelled to say this. John tells us later, 1 John 1, that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, There's this invitation for us to walk in the light. And I just want you to think for a minute about what it would mean to walk in the light. Uh, there's a lot of us that like to live with hidden things in us. And I, I, I would feel like it was a miss today if I didn't walk out of here by encouraging you and challenging you to let the light of the gospel of grace shine into the dark places of your life. It's a broken system if we say we have no sin. That's what John says in 1 John 1. We come to the table knowing our brokenness and actually living with a bit of openness to our brokenness. We're not afraid of the light because it's light that comes with grace. It's light that comes with restoration. 
It's light that comes with healing. It's light that desires to transform us. And so we actually open ourselves up to the light of life to shine and do the work that it does to purify us. To help us see our sin so that we can confess it and walk in righteousness. Part of coming to the light is actually letting that light do its work and showing us where we need to be transformed and how we can confess that sin freely. And John tells us he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When we confess, we're not met with shame and embarrassment. We're met with the gospel of grace. When we stand before the God living open with our brokenness and standing before him saying, here's where I have fallen short. He doesn't look at us and condemn us. He looks at us and extends the hand of grace and says, all right, now we've got something to work with. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we come before him and say, yeah, here's my brokenness. Or when the students get together in a cabin at the camp that's not going to happen and they, they get a chance to actually share with each other, here's my brokenness, and they get to speak life into each other and say, you know what the gospel does? It forgives that. That's met with grace, not condemnation. Those are healing moments that stir us to greater faithfulness, and we get to bring that into a hurting world and show them a different kind of way. I said a lot of things this morning over the last 45 minutes or so. I'm trusting that the Spirit of God planted something in you that he wanted to say. Part of your job today is to walk out of here saying, Spirit, what do you want me to take away from that? What do you want me to remember? What do you want to work on in me? What do you want to do in me? And I hope and I pray that you take the time to do that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for bringing us together, for giving us the grace to interact with each other, to study your scriptures, to know that you are so good. You long for us to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to us today. That as your word says, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that that's how your word works it. It actually comes into our life and it does active, dynamic work. It, it shapes us. It changes us. You stir us. Holy Spirit, would you stir this place to be changed by you? We love you, Lord. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.